Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. I can think back over the years as I remember some of the firsts for my children. And I know they're probably thinking, oh, great, here she goes. But they're accustomed to it. But specifically in this season, uh, I think about schooling, right? And from the first time they walked through the doors of a new school, whether it was starting school for the first time or being integrated into a new school because of relocation. And I can remember some of their emotions. They were proud, they were excited, they were confident. Sometimes they were nervous, sometimes they were hesitant, sometimes they were even scared because they were taking important steps in their life. They were starting off on new adventures. And for both parents and children, these these moments can have a strange mix of emotions, right? There's excitement of possibilities that are ahead, yet there's the loss of what we no longer have because our children are growing. And as I look at Brianna, I can see a whole phase of life that's being left behind And as I move on and as she moves on, I'm sad, but yet I'm somehow happy to see what the unknown, what the future holds for her. Now, do you imagine that the feelings were somewhat similar for both Jesus and his disciples after Jesus's resurrection? The years they had together had now passed and the agony of the cross was history because of the joy of his resurrection. And during the 40 days after Jesus rose, as he still met with the disciples, both him and them must have been torn. They both knew that adventure was ahead, the unknown, and they probably desperately wanted Jesus to stay with them. But deep inside, the disciples must have known that their preparation was for such a time as this. And so they probably stood there with a strange mix of emotions, hesitant, yet eager to move on. The ascension as recording in scripture happened 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And prior to the ascension, scripture tells us in Luke and in Mark and in John, accounts of Jesus appearing to his disciples. He appeared to two on a road who were discussing what had happened to Jesus and they were sad about all that transpired. Their eyes were eventually opened after Jesus broke bread with them and they realized who he was. Then they rushed to tell the 11 disciples, but no one believed them. Then suddenly Jesus appeared again to the disciples as they were meeting behind locked doors and he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief. And then he appeared to Thomas who also doubted and wanted proof. 
And so it was that Jesus did many miraculous signs during this time. He appeared again later to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee, and several of the disciples were fishing. They were toiling all night, and they caught nothing. And at dawn, they saw Jesus on the beach, and they couldn't recognize him. He gave them instructions to throw their net. They did, and their nets were so full of fish that they couldn't even haul it in. Jesus then challenges Peter, and he asks Peter to follow him. And we continue to read, and the disciples left for Galilee. And still, even after these encounters over and over and over again, they still doubted after they had personally seen. In Luke 24, scripture says, Then he said, When I was with you before, I told you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. In all these accounts, Jesus sets the stage for what was to happen next. And so now we turn our attention back to the book of Acts, chapter 1 that was read for us this morning in our scripture. In the first few verses of Acts chapter one, Luke, who is the author, is referring to his first book. He mentions Theophilus, just as he did in the book of Luke. One commentary suggests that Theophilus may have been Luke's patron who financed the writing of Luke and Acts. And yet another one suggests that Theophilus is a symbolic name for either an anonymous person or a class of people. The name occurs as a proper name at least three centuries before Luke, and the practice of dedicating books to distinguished persons was common in Luke's day. But at any rate, these two books, Luke and Acts, would act as a means of confirmation and instruction, not only for Theophilus, but for the Church of Christ in the faith as well. Luke says that the subject of his first book was about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Therefore, the book of Acts is a continuation of the account of the ministry and teaching Christ began on earth. The reference to the Lord's ascension in verse 2 looks back to Luke 24, 51, which says, While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. Now, what were the instructions that he gave to the apostles? Two commandments were given by the Lord before he returned to heaven. The first was that he told them they were to remain in Jerusalem. The second commandment he gave the apostles was that they were to go into the world as what? As witnesses. There's a major emphasis of four factors that runs through the book of Acts, and each of these factors, a mandate to witness, the apostles, the Holy Spirit, and the ascended Lord, each of these factors receive special attention 
in Acts chapters 1 and 2. After having shown the relation of his current book of Acts to Luke's first book and showing us what constitutes the elements of the Christian mission, Luke dives deeper into what happened before the ascension. Now there's some redundancy, but I believe it is purposeful. There are things worth repeating that are important and that are crucial and that require emphasis. For 40 days, Jesus spoke with his disciples about his father's intention to build his own kingdom in man's world. The Lord's post-resurrection appearances attested to the reality of the resurrection. Christ gave many convincing proofs of this. The proofs were demonstrable evidence. They weren't evidence that was provided just by eyewitnesses, but evidence provided by touch, by sight, by feel. But can you blame the disciples sometimes? Because even ourselves, how many times do we require tangible evidence of something before we can believe it ourselves? In Luke 24, verses 39 to 40, Jesus is telling his disciples, look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me. Make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. 1 John 1, 1 says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. For 40 days after his resurrection, the Lord appeared to the apostles and he discussed the kingdom of God with them. The kingdom of God is a common theme in both the Old and New Testaments. It refers to God's sovereign rule in human life and the affairs of history, you see, because God has always ruled over the world. But it also refers to the realm where that rule reigns. As believers, we look forward. We just sang, there will be a day. We look forward to a time that is coming when God will burst into human history in a spectacular way to establish his rule on earth. God's serenity is universal. The kingdom of God was manifested in the life of the nation Israel. The kingdom of God is progressively in the church and through the lives of Christians and will be fully revealed throughout eternity. It ex is expressed progressively through the church. Through this topic was the much of the, of the Lord's teaching and preaching before the, the cross. So before the cross, this topic was a lot of teaching, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, but he saw fit to discuss it further during his days with the disciples after he was resurrected. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, it will be revealed fully throughout eternity. The promised gift from the Father mentioned in verse four was quite obviously the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7 says, and these are the words of Jesus, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, and who is the advocate? The Holy Spirit, 
sometimes known as the comforter or the encourager, the encourager or, or the counselor, the Holy Spirit, or in the Greek, the paraclete, he won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. You see, the coming and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are essential to the advance of the gospel. The coming and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are essential to the advance of the gospel. Indeed, John had predicted a spirit baptism by the Lord Jesus. The greatness of Christ was seen in the fact that John identified people with himself by water baptism. Christ Jesus would join his followers to himself by the Holy Spirit. The word baptized, which normally means dipped or immersed here, has the idea of uniting with. The Lord made the same prediction of spirit baptism that John made. In Matthew 3.11, he says, I baptize you with water because I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see, Jesus did not push his followers unprepared into an adventure too great for them. He reminded them that he had promised them power. How many times do our children keep asking us questions? The same questions. Over and over again, possibly at different times throughout a particular journey, maybe even specifically a longer journey as they're running out of patience, or because they have no concept of time. When? 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 Are we there yet? Is it time yet? Or maybe they're just looking forward to a particular event. When we look at verse 6 of Acts chapter 1, it starts out with the word so, which means it's associating the thought of verse 6 with verse 5. In the disciples' minds, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the coming of the promised kingdom were closely associated. And while they should be, because the Old Testament frequently joined the two. And in verse 6, the disciples are asking this question. Lord, they asked, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Jesus had gently taught his followers that the Old Testament also spoke of the Messiah suffering and dying for men's sins. Christ's ministry was leading him to a cross rather than a crown. But up to the very end, the disciples still had visions of a new Jerusalem with Jesus and themselves ruling the world. The death of Jesus had crushed that hope only for a moment. But when Jesus arose, the vision of power and glory again caught and held their imaginations. And what Jesus discusses with the apostles in verse 7 was the time of the coming of the kingdom. The Greek word for times, which is chronos, basically describes duration of times. And the word for dates, kairos, refers to both the length of times and the kinds of times. 
such as hard times. And Jesus' answer was gentle. He didn't run out of patience, as I do many times, when my children ask me continual prodding questions to things they don't need to know. He answered gently. First, he pointed out that the prophesied kingdom would come, but that its coming was distant rather than at this time. The disciples were not to know either the times or the critical periods the Father had set by his authority. Later, further revelation would be made concerning these. 1 Thessalonians 5.1 says, Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. The apostles learned then, as we are to emulate now, that we should leave to God the matters that are his concern and take up the things that are entrusted to us. Times and dates regarding the restoration of the kingdom are not to be the subject of speculation by believers. Yes, we know he's coming. Yes, we know he's coming, but we are not to occupy ourselves and bog our minds down to try to pinpoint exactly when that time is. God will keep his promises, and this world will know Jesus' rule in his time. All we have to do is to be prepared. In verse 8, we see the mandate to witness that stands as a theme for the whole of Acts. This verse contrasts but with verse 7. And for now, life is to have a different focus for Jesus' followers. That focus stated in utmost simplicity is a direct commission from Jesus. And it's this. You will be my witnesses. And those were the last words spoken to the 11. It was final. It was conclusive. Instead of knowing the times and dates, the apostles were to be Christ's witnesses to the ends of the earth. This they were to do after they had been supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, we may wonder if the meaning of the clause, you will be my witnesses, does that mean it was a command? Is it just a, a statement of fact? And if you want to look at it grammatically, the words may be taken either way. But because of what Acts 10.42 tells us, it's clear, clearly an imperative in the future tense. Acts 10.42 says, And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He ordered us. This commission lays an obligation on all Christians and comes to us as a gift with a promise. As a church, a body of believers, we are to be on a mission, a mission that responds obediently to the mandated commission of Jesus. We are to act on Jesus' behalf in the extension 
of his ministry. We are to focus on proclaiming the kingdom of God. We are to be guided and empowered by the self-same spirit that directed and supported Jesus' ministry. We are to follow a program whose guidelines for outreach have been set by Jesus himself. After all was said and done, a silent crowd of disciples watched as Jesus rose up, soaring away until the clouds hid him from their sight. The cloud was undoubtedly meant to symbolize the Shekinah, the visible manifestation of the divine presence and glory. It was a cloud such as this that hovered over the tabernacle in the wilderness as a visible token of the glory of God that dwelt within the tabernacle. It was a cloud such as this that enveloped Jesus and the three of his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration as a visible sign of God's presence and his approval of his son. Something very similar is presented here. Jesus, as the ascended Lord, is enveloped by the Shekinah cloud, the visible manifestation of God's presence, glory, and approval. Can you picture that for a moment? What was that experience like for the apostles? Standing there, watching as their Lord was taken up. Maybe a moment of worship for some. Maybe for some they were awestruck by what they saw. Then two angelic messengers completed Christ's answer to the earlier questions and they presented a challenge. The final verse, verse 11, describes the Lord's ascension, but it also anticipates his return. He will come back in a cloud, bodily in view of people, the same way the apostles saw him go. Revelation 1, 7 says, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. Zechariah 14.4 says, he will come back to the Mount of Olives. That verse says, on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move toward the north, and half toward the south. What a day that will be. The ascension of Christ marked the conclusion of his ministry on earth in his bodily presence, but it also exalted him to the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 1.3 says the Son radiates God's glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand 
of the majestic God in heaven. At the same time, the ascension meant that the continuing work of Christ on earth was now placed in the hands of his disciples. You see, it was imperative that the ascension occur so that the promised comforter could come. The Holy Spirit would empower the disciples as they ministered the gospel and waited for the kingdom. This present time during which the focus of our lives and the heart of our adventure with God is summed up in Jesus will come to an end. As Old Testament days came to an end in the cross, our age will come to an end when Jesus returns to establish the kingdom promised in the old. Yes, that will, day will come. But for then, the disciples had to turn away from the Mount of Olives, from the Mount of Ascension, and return to Jerusalem to see what new thing God had in store. There they waited, gathering for prayer, waiting for a challenge, a joy that they could not yet even imagine. What is your response today, friends? What lies ahead for you? What are your unknowns? What are you waiting for? What are you praying for? What challenges are awaiting you? There may be some here this morning that have yet to taste the sweet victory of life redeemed from sin. Jesus is waiting with outstretched arms to welcome you back to him. He died so that you could have life. He wants to be the Lord and Savior of your life. There may be others here this morning who need to make room for the Holy Spirit. It's not about our agenda, but it's about what he wants to do in and through us. He has come and he is ready and available for those who desire to welcome him. He wants to comfort you. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you in all truth. Will you let him? Still, there may be others here this morning who have not realized that there is work still to be done. We have a commission to fulfill. We have a mandate. But the good news is we don't have to do that in our own power. Christ left us with power from on high to get the work done, to go and tell the world about his saving love. There's room for you this morning as well to receive that extra power boost that you need. And if you just want to come this morning to thank God for the gift of his son, to thank God for the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
to thank God for making a way for you to be seated in heavenly places with him, to thank God for giving you the opportunity to be able to see him face to face someday, then you come as well. The altar is available and Jesus is waiting to meet you there. Amen. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.